Father, again, we give you all praise and honor and glory for what we just saw. And Lord, we know that when we baptize people, um, that Lord, nothing significant is happening in the motion of putting someone underwater, but Lord, it is showing us, it is giving us an illustration of literally death coming to life that has happened inside of people's hearts and souls. Lord, it's an outward illustration of what you have already done, and we praise you for that. We praise you, Lord, for what you have done in the lives of Amanda and Nick and Erica and Terry. We just praise you. We praise you for what you've done in our lives. And Lord, we pray that as we as a church continue to be faithful to preach the gospel to anyone who will hear that, Lord, you would continue to just change lives, forgive people of their sin, bring them into your family. And so, Lord, we're excited to see what you'll continue to do through the ministry of this church. And Lord, we pray for this time now as we get into Ephesians chapter four. Lord, would you just Help us, Lord, to understand what your word has to say to us this morning. Illuminate our hearts. And Lord, I pray that as we continue in the series and studying this text, that, Father, you would help us to be a church uh, that is able to uniquely identify and utilize just the gifts and abilities of each person in this church so that we may all grow in the gospel and we all may effectively proclaim the gospel as well in this town. So we pray for that, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so it's January 21st, 2018, and uh, federal government shut down. I don't know if you knew that. It shut down. Anyone going to have an unexpected vacation day tomorrow, unpaid? Yes. Hopefully, they'll, they'll give you the back pay. You know, um, we know that for the most part when the government, I'm gonna talk about this for just a second, all right? We know for the most part when the government shuts down, you know, it's a game that, that, that you know, politicians are playing. They'd like to use funding as leverage to try to get what they want. So we know that this happens every once in a while. We go through this. But what's the real reason? I was thinking about this. What's the real reason why our government is shut down right now? And you're like, where is he going with this, you know? What's the real reason why our government can't agree on solutions when it comes to these big things like immigration or defense spending or entitlements? Or Why is it, I was actually thinking about this, why is it that when we do actually pass major legislation like healthcare or taxes, it's usually one party and the other party decides or vows to repeal it, you know, once they gain power, when that all flips around? Here's how I would answer the question. I would say that it seems like to me that many of our elected leaders and, and many who support them value uniformity over unity. Let me say that again. It seems to me that many of them value uniformity over unity. So let me define those terms. When I use the word unity, what I mean is when many different parts and components come together as a unified whole different forms, different functions, different skill sets, different philosophies. So our elected leaders would be unified if they agreed on a common goal and purpose and utilized their differences to achieve that common goal or purpose, right? Seeing their differences as a strength, not an obstacle. When I use the word uniformity, what I mean is when one expects everyone and everything to be the same. 
So my body is hopefully in unity with itself, right? I have different parts that have different functions and different shapes, and they come together and work in unity, and their differences allow my body to function as a whole. So if every part of my body was uniform, then I wouldn't be able to function. I would not be a human being. I'd just be a pile of hands or something like that, right? So it seems that our elected leaders or what's going on believes that everyone who is different from them is wrong. Should we, we should reject those differences and we should become uniform in how we govern. So our elected leaders desire uniformity, not unity, which is why they see the difference, their differences from one another as a problem and not an asset, which is why I think our government is shut down. But I'm not here to talk about politics, all right? So enough of that. Why, why do I bring this up? Well, our government is an organism. It's an organization comprised of many different parts and functions that have to come together as a unified whole, whole for a common purpose, right? The governing, the flourishing of our country. In the same way, the local church is an organism. It is an assembly of different people with different life experiences, different gifts, different passions that must come together as a unified whole to accomplish a common purpose. And just like our government, we can decide as a church if we are going to value and pursue unity or if we are going to value and pursue uniformity. Pursuing unity means celebrating our differences seeing those differences as an asset and coming together to achieve the common mission, allowing each person to use their different gifts and abilities and passions in the right place inside the organism. Pursuing uniformity in the church means ignoring those differences, elevating one type of person as the standard and guilt-shaming everyone to conform to that one person and their vision for where the organism should go. So at Grace Hill Church, are we going to pursue unity or are we going to pursue uniformity? Will we be stalled out as we let our differences frustrate ourselves or are we going to be propelled as we celebrate our differences? Uh, as you know, two weeks ago, we started a sermon series studying Ephesians 4 and we're calling this Called to Belong. And in this series, we want to better understand how and why every single follower of Jesus Christ is called to belong to the local church. And as we have been studying the first part of Ephesians 4, uh, we have said that a biblically faithful local church is filled with people who are committed to one another. That when you join a church, you are making a commitment to the people in that church and you're committing that you're going to pursue Christ together and you're going to reach people who don't know Christ together. And so last week we looked at uh, the very thing that binds the church together. What, does, what unifies us? And that's in verses one to six of Ephesians four. Okay, and here's what we saw. You know, what is that one common belief and purpose that brings unity to all of our differences? And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what we just celebrated the truth that every single one of us are equal in our sin before God in the need of his grace and mercy. And as followers of Jesus, every single one of us are equal as recipients of God's grace through sending his son Jesus to die on the cross so we could be forgiven of our sins. 
And so as the church, we hold common belief and common vision. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ as given to us by the scriptures, and we believe that we have been sent on a mission to proclaim that gospel to the world. That's what unifies us. That's what we have in common. And so this morning, what I wanna do is continue in Ephesians 4, but looking at verses 7 to 10, the next uh, four verses here, and I want us to see how our differences make us strong, how our differences are actually an asset. And so let's go into the scriptures here for a few minutes. Um, Ephesians 4, I'm gonna read verses one to six just to give us context, and then we'll jump into verses seven and 10. So Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse one, here's what it says. I therefore, the apostle Paul speaking from a prison probably in Rome, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, the whole church, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So in those six verses that we studied last week, Paul is exhorting us as the church to be eager to maintain the unity and this bond of peace within the church. And we do that through being unified in our calling, which is the gospel, right? So that's what we discussed last week, right? And that unity in the gospel has very specific and practical consequences when it comes to how we treat one another and how we love one another as the church. But then Paul shifts his focus uh, from what we have in common uh, to what makes us different. So now we're gonna go to verses seven to 10. Now, real quick, this is worded pretty awkwardly. I'm just gonna admit that. So when we read this, you might be thinking to yourself, I have no clue what I just read, but let's read it and we'll explain it. Here's what, starting verse seven. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Okay, so there's our text. And and the key verse in this is verse seven. All right, Paul is referencing here in this whole passage, passage some imagery actually from Psalm 68, all right, in order to give us an illustration of what he's trying to communicate to us in verse seven. So verse seven is the key, but let me explain this imagery. So in verse eight, Paul quotes Psalm 68, verse 18. Psalm 68 is a psalm uh, written by King David, and it's like this triumphant psalm, right? The imagery in Psalm 68, if you go and read it, is you have God who has defended the nation of Israel from all of her enemies, all of these nations who wanna conquer Israel and God has defended them. And so God has won, he has conquered these nations and he's leading this procession, this parade, this victorious parade back to the sanctuary in Jerusalem. All right, and he, is be, and he takes all of the spoils from war, all these gifts that he got from war, and he's using those to bless 
the people. And so that's this imagery here in Psalm 68. And in verses 9 and 10, in that little parenthetical comment that you get there, Paul applies this imagery from Psalm 68 to Jesus. That's what he's doing. Okay, so here's what we got. Jesus descended from his heavenly throne to the earth, and he became a human being with this mission of defeating sin and accomplishing redemption for his people. And so this is how Jesus is gonna fulfill his mission. This is what he's gonna do. Jesus is gonna become a human being and he's gonna live life on this planet without any sin. He's gonna be perfectly righteous and therefore not deserving death at all. Yet, instead of reaping the rewards of his own righteousness, he will actually allow us to have those rewards of his righteousness, okay? And he himself is going to take our sin upon himself on the cross, and he's going to die in our place. Yet, since the perfect son of God took on himself our sin, the punishment of our instead, instead of death defeating him, he defeats death. So three days later, he walks out of the grave. Having defeated our sin, defeated death, right? He is victorious over the enemy. And anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ's victory over sin, as the testimonies that we listened to just a few moments ago, will be forgiven of their sin. Victorious as Jesus is victorious, will live forever. And so Jesus descends from heaven. Here's the imagery from the psalm. He descends from heaven, defeats his enemy, sin, and then he ascends back into heaven with a victorious procession. And verse seven is telling us that as he does that, he's graciously bestowing upon his people and upon the church gifts. It says gifts. He's, he's giving out different gifts. And we know later from Ephesians chapter four and other places in scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, among others, that we're gonna study in this series, that the purpose of God giving those gifts, what he means to do with those gifts in us is for the building up of the church, of the people of the church, and the advancement of the mission of the church. He gives gifts for those purposes. Okay, so in this sermon series, what I'm, I'm trying to help all of us understand that one of the reasons that every follower of Jesus is called to belong to a local church is because scripture is so clear that our Lord, Jesus, gives each of us different gifts and those gifts are to be utilized in unity with the other people in the church in order for the church to be built up and the church to fulfill its own mission. All right, so think about this. If you follow Jesus, you have been given certain gifts, you, individually. You've been given certain gifts by Jesus, and those need to be utilized in unity with the other people here in this church in order for Grace Hill Church to be faithful to the calling that God has given it. That's you, like you. You are indispensable to Grace Hill being faithful to the calling that God has given it. You have unique life experiences. You have a unique story. You have gained skills and talents and passions and abilities through school, through work, through your upbringing, through your hobbies, through whatever. And on top of that, God has also given you spiritual gifts that must be identified and utilized 
in the church. See, when, when we come to faith in Christ, you gotta, you gotta just wrap your head around this. This is amazing. When you come to faith in Christ, commit to a faithful church. God sanctifies our past and all of the skills and all of the experiences that we have gained. And then he also bestows on us new gifts and all of that just kind of mixes together into a ball of redemption to create a very unique you that needs to operate in unity with the rest of the church. You know, this reminds me of a really good friend of mine, uh, Will. Um, Will is the pastor of New City Fellowship in Manassas. We borrowed that baptismal from him. Um, and we used to serve in ministry together uh, in the past. Will is a high school dropout. Will is a former drug addict and a former drug dealer. And through the grace of God, when Will was pretty young, Will's parents kind of had a little intervention and, and got him into a Christ-centered rehab program. And there he heard the gospel and gave his life to Jesus and got clean. But what is a kid to do when he's dropped out of high school, he spent a long time in rehab, doesn't have any formal job training or education? Like, what does he do with his life? Well, a local business owner who went to the same church as him heard about Will and gave him a chance in his company. Said, you can be a salesman for my company. Commission only, pay, you can sell oil. So that's what he did. Turns out Will's a really good salesman. Became the top salesman in his company. And as Will was being discipled in the church, it also turned out that God had given him certain gifts. He was an evangelist, gifted in teaching, and so God had taken Will's past and all of those experiences and the unique skill sets that you learn from those experiences, even doing sinful things like dealing drugs, and he began to redeem it. And he also gave Will new gifts and all of that redemption and all of that grace was mixed together to give Will a unique skill set to serve the church. And then he began to pray, God, are you calling me to plant a church? So that's what he did in Manassas, he planted a new church. See, it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. It doesn't matter what specific skill sets you have. It doesn't matter if you're a formal high school dropout drug addict. No one's story is outside of God's ability to take it, redeem it, and use it within the church for his purposes. So every one of us have different stories. We have different backgrounds, abilities, gifts, I've been in ministry long enough to see that God can take any dark past, redeem it, and use it to create a ministry in the present. You try me. I've seen a lot. And the church is strongest when all of those work together in unity for the building up of the church and the advancement of the mission. So this is why we're about unity, not uniformity. If we were about uniformity, the focus would be on how we could conform your life to our standards for the glory of the church. But we're about unity. The focus is on how God redeems your life and unleashes it within the church for his glory. Okay, so I think I've made a good case for why the church needs to be about unity and not uniformity. All right, so... Um, and that, that we should celebrate our diversity and all the various gifts that God has gives us to, to work together. So if you would allow me to do this, if you allow me to pivot and talk to us about how we practically here at Grace Hill Church want to develop and protect a culture of unity and not uniformity. And it's because we want to pursue, intentionally pursue unity 
and not uniformity that we practice uh, what I'm gonna call meaningful church membership. Okay, and you're like, oh man, this sermon just got boring. (laughs) Meaningful church membership. We actually really believe that a faithful church is filled with people who are committed to one another, using their gifts in unity with the body, And to encourage this, this is actually why we practice meaningful church membership. So I want to explain why we do this. So let me define it. This is what meaningful church membership is. This is my definition. Meaningful church membership is a formal process where a professing follower of Jesus enters into a mutual commitment with the other church members to help each other grow in their faith, to protect the ministry from corruption, and to reach those who do not know Christ. Okay? Let me say that again. It's a mutual commitment with the other church members to help each other grow in their faith. I'm committing to the other people in this church because I wanna see them grow. I wanna grow and I want to see them grow to protect the ministry from corruption and to reach those together who do not know Christ. And the reason why I say we practice meaningful, I use that word meaningful church membership, is because we are very intentional about how we practice membership here at Grace Hill. Um, it's, it's possible you grew up in a church and um, membership wasn't meaningful if you visited a church or grew up in a church like this. Uh, maybe one Sunday the pastor asks, hey, who wants to join the church? You raise your hand and boom, that's it. There's your membership process. And so for many churches, their membership database, right, the list of people who are members in their church is actually way larger than who are showing up on Sunday morning. By some churches, hundreds I've seen, hundreds more people on the list than actually gather together on Sunday mornings. So when a church practices meaningful church membership, we have a process for you to become a member and then you get taken off of our membership list if you leave the church for whatever reason. You know, you move across the country, we'll help you find a good Bible preaching church, but you come off of the member list. And we do this because we want to know who are the people who have made the mutual commitment to follow Jesus together, to protect the church, and to reach people together for Christ. And so in a healthy church model, there should be more people showing up on Sunday morning uh, than in the membership database. So let me just say this as an aside and then talk about a few other things. There are three different kinds of people that I hope are gathering with us every single week at Grace Hill Church. And the first is obviously our members. I hope our members are committed to being here on Sunday mornings, worshiping together, sitting under the word of God, encouraging one another, Um, and enjoy seeing one another on Sundays. So of course that. I hope our Sunday mornings are filled with people who are not members, just attend here, followers of Jesus who are attending here. We realize that the process of becoming a member and thinking that's a big decision. So we want people here who are still in process in that way. You're welcome here. You're welcome to stay and participate in in every way. We hope you're moving towards membership, but you're welcome here. And lastly, we hope there are people who still don't know if they believe in Jesus yet gathering here every single Sunday morning. That this is a safe place for you to wrestle with those questions. This is a safe place for you to dialogue about faith. That you don't feel pressured to do anything you're not ready to do. We hope those people are gathering with us every single week. And we hope that over time, as they hear the gospel, that they would place their faith in Jesus. But with that said, back to Meaningful Church Membership. We practice this because we believe that this actually encourages unity in the church and discourages uniformity. So what I wanna do as we end this is I I wanna give you four quick reasons why 
I believe meaningful church membership encourages unity and discourages uniformity. All right, four reasons why we do this. Here's reason number one. Meaningful church membership ensures the church is united in common belief and purpose. All right, at Grace Hill, we require our members to be professing followers of Jesus and to agree to the same statement of faith. If we are going to allow our diversity to be a strength at Grace Hill, we have to be unified in what we believe and in our purpose as a church. If we're divided when it comes to doctrine and what we believe, then all of our energy is gonna be spent debating one another and not actually doing what God has called us to do. And so we believe the unity has to be in what we believe we've been called to do and, and actually what we believe, all right? So meaningful church membership forces us to have that conversation up front, okay, before and not on the backside. Reason number two, meaningful church membership, this is huge, protects the church against manipulative and abusive power that would lead us to uniformity, okay? So at Grace Hill Church, we are what we call congregationalists. What that means is that we believe that the authority in the church, the final decision-making power in the church is with the members, the congregation. Not with the elders, not with the pastors, not with me, not with some board that oversees everything and can overrule any decision, right? The elder board is charged with leading the congregation, but the congregation is charged with the authority in the church, and so I am the primary preacher at this church. And if I start teaching in a way that's not in accordance with our statement of faith, then the members of the church have a responsibility to get me off this pulpit. If I start getting influenced by the outside culture and I allow every cultural movement, every politically correct sentiment to start to cause me to question the truthfulness of scriptures, the members have a responsibility to sit me down. I cannot do that on my own. I can't just decide what I'm going to preach or decide you know, what we believe here at this church. I don't have the authority to do that. That's why the members at this church are the only people who can amend our statement of faith or our bylaws. We can't just decide one day, oh, we're gonna change our statement of faith to say this, so now I can preach this. It doesn't work that way. This is why our members are the ones who ultimately decide who becomes a member of Grace Hill. And our members are the ones who decide if we need to remove someone from membership for, for any reason. This is why no denomination has authority to change the doctrine of this church, the practice of the church, the leaders of this church, to take money from us or property if they feel like they want to. Right? When you give authority in the church to the members, all who are united in belief and purpose, all who love Jesus together collectively, and all who have been given various gifts to minister in this church, it protects the church against abusive and manipulative power. Reason number three, uh, meaningful church membership allows the leadership to know who they're responsible for. Uh, the church is ruled by the congregation, but it's led by our elders, our pastors. And we believe that the scripture is very clear about the elders' job description. Scripture says they need to teach God's word, they need to pray, they need to shepherd the flock, and they need to equip the people in their gifts to be used in ministry in the church. And so meaningful church membership helps our elders know who they're responsible for. So I believe that one day I will stand before God and I will give an account for the members of Grace Hill Church because I have been given responsibility for them. And so this is why 
every member of our church is assigned an elder. Our elders intentionally connect with that person, pray for them, visit them if needed. So this is why a majority of our elder meetings are spent in prayer for our members. But we also believe that every one of our members has been uniquely gifted, as we've been talking about, by God, and has a very specific and indispensable ministry to fulfill here at Grace Hill Church. And so we believe that later in Ephesians 4, and we're going to study this in depth in a few weeks, we learn that the elders have a responsibility to equip each church member in those various gifts to be utilized for the work of ministry. So meaningful church membership helps us pursue unity and not uniformity because it allows our leaders to intentionally equip each individual person and to get them utilizing their gifts within the church, right? There needs to be reliable systems and structures to facilitate this so that we can move forward in unity as the church. Fourth and last reason is meaningful church membership calls people to primarily invest in the ministry of their church. I mean, if we're gonna be about unity and not uniformity, then we need people to step up and invest their time, their gifts, and their money into the ministry of this church. And meaningful church membership helps us to call people to invest in this way. I mean, we expect our members to be the primary funding engine behind our ministry. We expect our members to utilize their gifts in the church. We want them to use them. And we expect our members to prioritize their time to be with these people, to help these people love Jesus and to reach those who don't know Christ together. And so that, that's meaningful church membership. And I, and I wanted to take one of our sermons as we go through Ephesians 4, and I wanted to lay it out from the pulpit because I want us to understand how much we believe this is crucial to us being about unity in this church and how crucial it is to you utilizing your gifts and abilities and passions in the ministry of this church. And I really believe it helps us pursue unity and not uniformity. You know, without meaningful church membership, um, it's, it's too easy for churches to be centered around a preacher a cause, a building, a performance, a worship style. And, and all of that can, be, can lead us to uniformity. It doesn't celebrate the diversity of the church and use that to build up and advance the church. It celebrates one aspect of the church. And that ultimately will cause us to not be effective and cause us, not cause us to be faithful to the calling to which we've been given by God. And so let me, let me just close again uh, by uh, encouraging you. Um, so if, if you are here and you want Grace Hill Church to be your church home, if you have not done so already, to pursue membership here at Grace Hill. We have a membership class. Most of that class is online. And in that class, we go real into depth in the scriptures as to why we believe this. Everything I said today, we believe is biblical backing, which we go through in that class. And then we also have a one-time in-person class just to answer any of your questions. Many of you are in that process. We have an in-person class this afternoon that many of you will be at. Um, but if you want to jump into this process, if you haven't done so already, 
you can go to our website, gracehillchurch.com slash membership and fill out that form there and we'll get you started on the online portion. And we're gonna be scheduling lots of those in-person classes so you can just jump into the next one and just encourage you to do that. And the other thing is if you are a member or if you are about to be a member, you're going to the class this afternoon, um, we just really encourage you uh, to sign up for RED. You've heard us talk about RED, the RED workshop, a lot. And RED stands for Recognize, Equip, and Deploy. This is a starting point for us as a church to begin to recognize the gifts and abilities that God has given you, all right? That little ball of redemption of all of your past and everything that God's gifted you with coming together to how you can uniquely serve the church. That's meant to help us recognize those things equip you to use it within the ministry of the church and then deploy you into specific areas in the church of need or new areas of the church that need to be created. We are a new church and so this is our next step. This is where we need to go. We need to get the people of this church involved in the ministry of this church. And so you can sign up for RED. Uh, it's gonna be um, in February. It's on February 11th and 25th. And you can sign up online at gracehillchurch.com slash red. So those are just two very practical, simple action points for you. Um, but we wanna begin to lay out this vision, all right? This is why we're talking about membership and these workshops and things, is we wanna lay out this vision for what it means for us as a church to be faithful to the calling that God has given us. And so let me pray for us and let me pray that we indeed would be faithful to that. Father, this morning, um, as we uh, look at Ephesians 4, 7 to 10, and we just think about the, the fact that Christ, as you rescued us, you also equipped us and gifted us to serve in your church. And Lord, not just serve in, 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 in uh, tasks within the church, Lord, that... Um, Father, that just need to get done, not just serve in, in the sense of setting up equipment or making coffee, Lord. All of those things are things that we need people to do, but Lord, you've equipped us to serve in ministry, to, to serve in such a way that helps people grow in Christ, to serve in such a way that helps reach people for Christ. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we begin to take this step as a young, small church, that, Lord, you would help us to be faithful, Lord, to identify the gifts and the abilities that you've given your people, to equip them and deploy them within the church. Lord, we know that this church will not grow and we will not be faithful to the calling that you've given us unless the people of the church are doing the ministry. And so Lord, help us just to be a church that's faithful to do that. Again, Lord, we praise you for what we celebrated this morning in baptisms. We praise you for new life. Lord, would you continue to bring that about through the ministry of this church? We ask these things in Jesus' name.